Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. I'm your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk to you about college football, the MLB, Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here, episode 186. So, instead of a fun fact today, I've got a, a semi-trivia question for everybody. Um, in a Twins-Blue Jays game um, on Friday, August 5th, we had a very interesting pitching line. I want um, them to try to figure out how this happened. Um, so, Romano, the relief pitcher for the Blue Jays, had um, zero innings pitched, zero hits, one run, zero earned runs, one walk, or sorry, zero walks, one strikeout. Can you guys tell me how that happened? Zero innings pitched, no hits, no earned, wa- earned runs, no walks, and one strikeout. Tell me how this happened. Did he get a loss? He did get a loss, yes. He got a loss so as well. So there was an error, I guess? And somebody came home on the error? There was an error, walk yes. Off. There was not a walk-off error. There was an error, but okay. there was not a walk-off error. It, so he struck out the batter, but it was a pass ball, and the runner got to first base. Close, close. That was all I had. That they weren't able to complete the out at first after a strikeout. That's, that's true. Yeah. So it was a wild pitch instead of a pass ball, and then a throwing error on the catcher. But so you were very close there. But how does that turn into a, a loss? Still don't have the loss part. I am not sure. I also do not know. All right. So the the, mo- the very important fact you're missing is this happened in the 10th inning. So a runner oh. was on second base to start. Oh, gotcha. Jake Cave strikes out, wild pitch, throwing error on the catcher, allows Jake Cave to reach, and Nick Gordon, who was the, the Manfred man, as I like to call it, on second base, goes to third. And then... Um, and then, uh, who's batting? Tim Beckham, I think, was batting. Hits a ground ball to the third baseman who throws home to try to, you know, get the guy out at home because otherwise you lose. But that throw was not in time. So the run scores, but that doesn't go down as an error because there wasn't an error. The throw just wasn't in time. So it goes down as a fielder's choice, um, which, again, doesn't count as an error or a hit or anything against the pitcher. So that's how you get no innings with a strikeout and no hits and a loss. This wouldn't have been possible three years ago or two years ago, right? Before we started throwing the guy on second. Theoretically, it could have been if you throw in a couple of stolen bases in there, right? If Jake Cave were to get on first and then like steal two bases. That's true. And then it would have happened. Or steal a base, steal a base. Well, steal a base, throwing air on the catcher, maybe. Yeah, Bach a couple as box. well. Yeah. It would be possible, just much, much more difficult for this to happen. Yeah. Does anybody like the Ghost Runner? No. Um, no. Like, no. not just us, but like literally anyone. Why do we have it still? Because it speeds up the game. But it's, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm in favor overall of speeding up the game, but I just, that just ruins it for me. I feel like it's not a real inning. It's like a, it's, you never want to handicap them. They're professional athletes. They should be able to do it the normal way still. Yeah, if you're serious about speeding up the game, put in a common sense pitch clock. Yep. 
not the stupid one they have in the minor leagues where you can only throw over to a base a certain number of times before it's a bark. That's stupid. Just a common yeah, sense pitch clock. Because, because you throw over to first base, you use up all your tries. If you're a speedy guy at first, you're automatically going first move. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get into that more later if it ever comes to Major League Baseball. But yeah, no, no one likes the extra runner. Everyone thought it was going to be gone um, at the end of the at the end of last season. It was not. It's only in for a year again. So theoretically, it could be gone at the end of this year. But I'm not optimistic since they brought it back this year. I'm not optimistic that they'll keep it gone. But I sure as heck hope they do. Rob Manfred doesn't have the best record on making decisions people like. Or that are in the best interest of baseball. Just in we haven't even talked about jersey sponsors on here. We're oh, I know ads on MLB jerseys. I know. What is this? The NBA? It's awful. I feel like there's a difference between the NBA and the MLB. As we've said many times, the NBA is a young league. The MLB is an old league. No one wants to see these uniforms with ads on them. I don't want to see Yankees with Wish.com. Ugh, makes me upset. The Yankees pinstripes are just gonna look horrible now. They already do, but yeah. It, but if you're but if you're a diehard Yankees fan, you love the pinstripes. If you want to see any argument against jersey ads, just look up the Oklahoma City Thunder's jerseys with the big loves ad on it. It is massive and it is not in team colors. It's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. And if we get that on like a St. Louis Cardinals jersey, I'm gonna riot. What would right? So what things aren't, aren't allowed, right? So I, I caught this. So it's already allowed on umpires jerseys, right? There's a ad for FTX, the, the crypto exchange, right? That seems like putting financial ads on there is a bit shady for your officials. It's like, yeah, I'm sponsored by this gigantic deregulated finance industry that just, you know, moves money for legal and probably illegal purposes all the time, sponsoring my umpires, is that a good look? No, that's not a good look. Well, it's all over. It's all over F1 cars. I do have some thoughts on this, but maybe we can take a deep dive into that either in the MLB segment this or potentially. Okay, you're telling us this is out of bounds move of an introduction, along. and we need to move along. <laughs> I just want to talk about one unknown individual who cast a vote for Texas in the first coaches poll. That it, I'm still bothered by. Yeah, so the first coaches poll for college football in the 2022 season um, came out on Monday the 8th. And there wasn't anything super surprising in there, except as Wyatt mentioned, uh, Texas, who's ranked 18th in the coaches poll, which seems reasonable-ish. I won't complain about that. But they have one first place vote. So one of the 66 coaches that um, votes for the, the coaches poll voted for Texas first. The only other schools with first place votes are Alabama, who's ranked number one, Ohio State, who's ranked number two, and the defending national champ, Georgia, ranked number three. That's all reasonable. And then Texas, somehow, with their number 18 overall ranking, with one person ranked overall, first overall. Yeah, I, I don't know who that coach is. It's one of 66 coaches. The names of the coaches are public. I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure if their ballots are like they are in the AP poll. I'm not sure if the coaches' ballots are. But if they are and somebody finds it, let us know which coach thinks Texas is the best team in the nation so we can laugh at them in the future. The ballots are not made public until the final poll is released after the college football playoff. And then do they release all the ballots or just the last one? 
They released the last one, I believe. So we'll never know which of those Every, coaches voted. A lot test. of a lot of people are speculating that they were trying to vote for either Texas A&M or Tennessee. But how do you mess that up I that badly? See, I could see Texas A&M, but I mean, Tennessee is not. How do you mess up Tennessee and Texas? Not it. Also, also, also Tennessee is not good. No. They're worse than Texas. I, I could see it, right? Like a coach isn't, like it's not the actual head coach doing the voting, right? They usually have like an assistant or something actually submit the ballot. So maybe he was like, no, number one, let's do Texas A&M or something. And then the person says, like, oh, Texas, bang. I don't know. I don't know how else. But you work in football. You're not like, I'm sorry, did you say Texas? Are you sure? Maybe they just. You're just like, I man, Texas sounds good. (laughs) Texas A&M, never heard of them. You must have been like, Texas. Give it to the Longhorns. What are we doing? Let me find this. Is is Texas's coach one of the voters? That's what I was wondering. And are you allowed up. to vote for your own team for first or whatever? I don't. You should have be able to, be, right? to, but I feel like even he wouldn't do. Steve, uh, what's his you got to gas up your guys. Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. Uh, let me see. I'd be shocked if he was on the board. Do we really want me to go through the entire list here? I can read them all off. Hit yes. that control F. Search it. Uh, let's see, Texas. No, the only Texas schools. Uh, Texas El Paso's coach gets a vote. Texas Tech's coach gets a vote. Texas State's coach gets a vote. And Texas San Antonio's coach gets a vote, but not Texas. So who is this mystery man? And I don't why? Know. Well, Texas is number one in his heart. That's what matters most. Apparently number one on paper. Well, yeah, for him. <laughs> I guess we'll see in week two where they'll play, well, they, when they play number one Alabama, right? So... So the coaches poll ranking, I just have a sidebar on this. The coaches poll ranking combines, obviously combines the scores from all of them, averages it, right? And then gives them their, that's how it produces the, the ranking, correct? You, well, no, you, you, so you get, you get 25 points for a first place vote, 24 points for a second place vote, on down through one for being ranked 25th. You sum up the points and that's where you go. Right. Okay. So they got one one first place vote. You take those points out, where are they ending up? Um, that's a good question. That's, that's a good question, I guess actually. that's what I'm trying to get at. Like you take that one you took take take twenty five points out. Say they get, you know, ten, right? Yeah, let's say they were they should have been fifteenth instead. They fall one place, Wake Forest hops them. Even if you take twenty five points off, they only fall it's two places. So oh. Okay, so I mean, not that big of a difference. I thought it might have been a bigger spread, but apparently, most of the coaches, except for one outlier, pretty much agreed to have Texas in in that spot. Yeah, I mean, they got three hundred eighty-three total points, um, which, if you divide by the um, the sixty-six coaches, they were ranked about nineteenth on average by the coaches. So. What if this was an inside job by Nick Saban, actually? Like, get Texas as high up as they can and then beat them to make their win look better? Nick Saban oh. does have a vote. Yeah. That's where my money's at now. I think I like that. I think it's the Saban inside job. In the end, the playoff uh, selection committee doesn't care about the coaches' poll, so. Especially uh, preseason coaches. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. These. These polls literally only exist for people like us who are now spending 10 minutes talking about 
the coaches poll four weeks before the start of the football season. Three weeks before the start of the football season? Four weeks before the start of the football season. Got ahead of myself. Um, but, I mean, they're succeeding if that's their goal. Um, Iowa State, I know you're all asking about that. You're like, shut up about Texas. Tell me about Cyclones. <laughs> um, are not formally ranked in the poll. Um, they did receive votes. They received three points. So that can either be one person ranking them 23rd, one ranking them 24th, and one 25th, or three people ranking them 25th. Um, either way, we did get three points. That would be good for 46 if you extrapolated it all out. Um, we already gave you the top three. Some other rankings you might um, want to know about. Oklahoma is the highest ranked team in the Big 12 at nine. Baylor and Oklahoma State are hot on their heels, ranked 10th and 11th. We already talked about Texas, ranked 18th. Iowa um, is ranked 26th, so just outside the top 25. Kansas State is ranked 45th. And then Iowa State at 46th is it for the Big 12 and other um, teams that uh, Cyclone fans might be interested in. So this, this year certainly doesn't have the hype of last year. I think this will still be a good Cyclones team, but to me it all comes down to two things. How good is the quarterback play going to be and how good is the running back play going to be? I think everything else will be fine. I'm just concerned about quarterback and running back. Yeah, there's going to be a few like concerns of, of who's going to help Will McDonald on that defensive front as well and who's going to fill that hole in the linebacking core. Obviously, Orion Vance is back for another season, but Mike Rose left a pretty big hole. Um, same as I'm blinking on his name right now. Uh, Jake Hummel as well, uh, leaving that hole. So a few, a few young players obviously need to step up. Uh, the wide receiver core, I feel like, is going to be very good. Um, and obviously, Charlie Kohler left a big gap as, as one of those go-to pass catchers um, that Brock Purdy had. So, you know, it, it's time to step up for these kids. They want playing time. If they come to Iowa State, you're going to get it this year. Of course, we'll dive into more in our um, football season preview episode coming up in a couple of weeks. But just just start just start getting in, getting ready, getting the mental space for Cyclone football. We're less than a month away, so getting the mental space for it. Um, but while you're doing that, um, uh, definitely keep an eye on Major League Baseball. Uh, the trade deadline is past, and we are coming down the home stretch um, with the last month and a half of baseball. And, and things are starting to get interesting, especially in the, the two central divisions. Ariane, what's going on in the NL Central? My uh, area of focus is my home team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, started off fantastically in August. They have not lost yet. Um, they have had six straight wins and one postponed game due to a rain delay. Uh, they are plus 17 in the run differential since that started. And they have swept both the Cubs, not as impressive, and the Yankees, Quite impressive. Uh, they are now two games up in the division on the Milwaukee Brewers, who are currently were leading in the past. Uh, I expect that'll be a pretty close race down to the wire, and hopefully it's still pretty fun in the last weeks. Um, our two acquisitions at the trade deadline are big ones. We had Montgomery from the Yankees. He pitched five innings of shutout ball versus the Yankees and got the win. So that was uh, probably fun for him and exciting to show himself and prove himself against the club that just traded him. And then you also had Quintana, who played a little bit before him, 
pitched six innings of one run ball, uh, did not get the win, but he did get a no decision. So, so far through one start each, those moves are looking good. The offense looks a little better than it did before, and hopefully we can keep that up. And I'm hoping for a pennant still. Um, it's been exciting to see, and I'm hoping we can ride that hot streak to the end. I mean, we saw what they did last year as far as momentum goes. So we'll kind of hope for something similar as well in there. But really, the Brewers and the Cardinals are the only teams to pay attention to in the NL Central right now. No offense to Wyatt. Yeah, it, it really is a two-team race in the NL Central between the Cardinals and the Brewers. But they're currently separated by just two games. Um, and Fangraphs projects that uh, there'll be a one-game difference between the two teams at the end of the year with the Cardinals coming out slightly ahead so oh they project they project the cardinals to win now they do yes they project okay, the cardinals. That's shifted pretty recently then yes well that's so, it shifts recently when you're nine and one in your last 10 and you've won seven in a row <laughs> and then the brewers are four and six in the last 10 and fan graphs um unlike 538 which is bases the their predictions solely off past results Fan graphs is a simulation based, so it runs um, simulations based on the roster. So the trade deadline factored into the fan graphs projections, whereas it didn't into the the five thirty eight projections. So that gotcha. might be why you saw some more change there as well. It happened with the twins as well. The twins' chances jumped just from the trade deadline as well, because sim as simulated, they're a better team than they were before the trade deadline. So, uh, speaking of the Twins, that AL Central is probably even more exciting, I would say. It's probably the most exciting division in baseball. You've got three teams, the Twins, White Sox, and Guardians, all separated by um, two games or less. The Twins are in first place, a game up on the Guardians, and two up on the White Sox. Um, so, a very, very close division race. Fangraphs favors the Twins uh, very slightly it actually projects the twins as 0.3 wins better than the white Sox um come the end of the year so that's uh it's going to be very very close and the guardians it only projects um a win and a half behind the twins come the end of the year so it's going to be very very close race down the stretch between these three teams um, it's possible that a team that doesn't win this division still um, grabs one of the wild cards. Um, but right now, those wild cards um, are being held down by uh, Seattle in the uh, in the American League West, as well as um, the teams out east really battling for them, the Blue Jays, Rays, Red Sox, and Orioles. Um, the projection systems still aren't buying into the Orioles, but... Since they sold at the trade deadline, they've uh, gone on a nice winning streak of their own. The Orioles are now, I believe they've, uh, they lost on Sunday, but prior to that, they'd won five in a row since the tra trade deadline. So uh, they, are, they uh, are still uh, trying to hang around, and they're currently only two games out of the wild card. So... The Orioles, Red Sox, Rays, Blue Jays, all around, and how the st final standings shake out in that division is going to be interesting as well. Um, because that's, are there going to be two wildcard teams in that division? Three? Just one? 
a lot could happen um, down the stretch in that division. So that that's what I'm keeping my eye on down the stretch. Those are the interesting races. What else are you guys keeping an eye on down the stretch? No one's talking about how the NL Central is also a hot race between the final three teams that are all one game apart from each other in the battle for last place. So that's exciting. But nobody really cares. That, I mean, that matters to our write that down predictions, but that that's about that's about all it matters for. But other than that, the the one thing that's, I don't know, exciting, I guess the Royals before the trade deadline were annoying to watch because it's you got a bunch of old people out there that are just losing It's bad baseball, bad all around. The Royals sold who they needed to and all the young kids are up and it's fun to see the likes of like. Michael Massey, Nick Prado. Uh, over the weekend, the Royals played um, the Boston Red Sox, who Eric Hosmer was traded to. So you had the first baseman of old that won a World Series in Kansas City uh, in a picture with the first baseman of the future um, for the Royals. See what happens there. But there is an excitement around the Royals, not that they're winning games, but it's just exciting to see the new kids getting their chance. Um and, you know, some of the kids are performing. Michael Massey, as high as double A was, uh, as far as he got, called up to the major leagues playing second base now that Whit Merrifield was traded. And he's been on a tear since coming up. Um, his short to the ball, great stroke. Uh, and it's just, it's, there is a, there is a, it's a new era in Kansas City. Um, doesn't matter if we're losing games right now because the kids are having a lot of fun. So. There's excitement to it rather than what it was before the trade deadline. Um, other excitement um, in San Diego, of course, they're very excited about the Juan Soto um, trade with him coming to San Diego. The only problem with that being they haven't won since he's been there. Um, they are mired in quite a long losing streak right now. They have lost uh, four games in a row. Um, and have fallen to the point where they are only they are the last wild card right now, only a game and a half ahead of the Brewers for that final wild card spot. Uh, it's just showing that you know teams on paper and teams uh, teams uh, on the different. So you got to be careful about that to uh, to make sure you 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 get them both uh, worked out, or you're going to get more people fired like you did uh, last off season in San Diego. Um, another team that's faltering right now is the Yankees. Um, they're four and six in their last uh, ten games. The Dodgers have overtaken them for the best record in baseball, and they're currently only half a game ahead of Houston for the best record in the American League. So, um, yeah, the Yankees are definitely struggling a little bit, um, but. They're going to make the playoffs. I mean, they still have uh, a ten and a half game lead or something like that, nine and a half game lead in that division. So, the division's theirs, um, barring a monumental collapse. But they are not going to go down as one of the greatest teams in baseball history. That's for sure. They'll they'll just be a good team, which is fair. They are a good team. Um, that that's about all for Major League Baseball. Unless somebody else has anything, just keep an eye on it. There's it's another big week of games, so keep an eye on it and see how it goes. But there's apparently some something going on in F1. You just you just told me last week that we were on summer break. Why are things happening? Summer break. You're supposed to like just sit around and play video games. Why are the things happening? 
Yeah, well, summer break doesn't always mean that you just sit around. That you know, some of these teams are are looking for excitement, and Alpine definitely has brought some excitement. Obviously, last time we covered the Fernando Alonso to Aston Martin talk, um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, another surprise was I, I saw it coming, but I wasn't sure that it was actually going to happen for sure. That Alex Albon, uh, Alexander Albon got a multi-year contract extension with Williams um, to fulfill one of the open seats there. Uh, Williams still does have one seat open um, going into next season. Uh, They have not announced who that driver will be, um, but Nicholas Latifi is possibly on the way out with Williams, but Albon gets in there. Uh, One of the things that we don't talk about when we talk about these extensions, just multi-year extensions, they don't make those contracts public. Um, there, there's usually at the beginning of the season, they might announce how much each driver is, um, getting paid per season, but the length of the contract typically isn't made public. Um, when you get the initial reports, uh, like soccer over in Europe, if you're familiar with that scene, a lot of those contracts don't get talked about too often. They just kind of say that they've been extended, uh, on a long-term deal or a multi-year contract, or they'll just say they've been extended for one year. Uh, and that's kind of all you get. But where the drama sparked this week was surrounding Oscar Piastri. So first and foremost, who is Oscar Piastri? We've talked about him before, but he's a 21-year-old Australian driver. Uh, he's been a part of the Alpine Junior Program since 2020. Uh, the Junior Programs, uh, if you're unfamiliar, help young drivers progress through the minor racing series as their work work their way towards F1. Uh, Piastri did win the Formula 3 championship in 2020 uh, and then the Formula 2 championship the next year in 2021. So making the jump, uh, he has made that jump pretty successfully, uh, becoming just the fifth driver ever to win both series in consecutive years. Uh, As per regulations levied by the FIA, the governing body of motorsports, drivers who win the F2 title are not allowed to rejoin the following year, which is interesting. So with no available seats in F1 in 2022, that left Piastri kind of on the sidelines. Uh, Alpine eventually snagged him for a reserve contract. Basically, if one of their drivers is down, ill, injured, whatnot, uh, Piastri would fill that seat for Alpine for those races, similar to what uh, Nico Hulkenberg did at the beginning of the season when Seb Vettel was out with COVID for Aston Martin. But going back to the drama, Alpine put out a statement earlier uh, in the week saying that the 2023 driver lineup is confirmed. Esteban Ocon and Oscar Piastri, after four years as a part of the Renault and Alpine family, reserve driver Oscar Piastri is promoted to a racing seat alongside Esteban Ocon starting in 2023. Well, Piastri uh, woke up from a deep slumber and fired back and said... I understand that without my agreement, Alpine F1 have put out a press release late this afternoon that I am driving for them next year. This is wrong, and I have not signed a contract with Alpine for 2023. I will not be driving for Alpine next year. So, dun-dun-dun, what does that mean? Who's he going to drive for? Well, it was noted early on in the season that McLaren and Daniel Ricciardo, uh, who have a... I wouldn't say they're having a falling out, but they are slowly but surely growing apart um, as he hasn't really panned out, especially 
uh, this season. He did all right last season for McLaren, but um, this year he's been faltering a little bit. And McLaren uh, is an has it's been announced and rumored that McLaren is to have a contract in place with Piastri um, to be a driver alongside Lando Norris for the 2023 season, which means they're going to have to work on a contract buyout with Daniel Ricciardo. Now, uh, if, if I remember correctly, Daniel Ricciardo makes you know north of 20 million a year to drive for McLaren. Uh, that deal with McLaren goes through next season, so they might have to end up paying him out completely that contract in order to buy him out. It could take more because that just leaves Ricardo without a seat, possibly, unless he goes back to Alpine, uh, his former team, formerly Renault. So that's the drama. To add to that drama, Alex Albon, the, the guy you mentioned earlier that signed with Williams, put out a tweet um, that was the exact opposite of Oscar Piastri's tweet. And Albon's tweet, I quote, I understand that with my agreement, Williams Racing have put out a press release this afternoon that I am driving for next year. This is right, and I have signed a contract for Williams for 2023. I will be driving for Williams. We love these little jabs to Alpine. This was entirely their fault. Like, why would you put a PR out? You don't know is true. Without, yeah, without signing your guy yet. Like, and logically, it I, makes sense. As a reserve driver, right, you would fill in that spot. But, yeah, th- there ain't no contract there yet. I feel like this was something that, like, the team principal said, hey, public relations person, draft this up. And then they hit send without wanting to hit send. That would be so bad if that was what happened. Oh, man. That's got to be, right? You can't screw this up this badly. I don't know. Without, like, misinterpreting someone's instructions. And then it, to, to even put more fuel in the fire, Espen Ocon, the, the driver that Alpine still has right now, uh, confirmed for next season, he put out a tweet that just said, on summer break, anything interesting happening after all of this went down? Uh so See, he's treating summer break right. Yeah. Disconnect. That's what everybody should be doing. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton was in um, Nairobi. Uh, Daniel Ricardo's back in L.A. just kind of relaxing and recovering. Um, Benito, the, the F1 or the team principal for Ferrari is, is out here saying everything's OK. So apparently he's not relaxing um, or maybe he's relaxing too much. So. Maybe Ferrari needs to be on a few more pins and needles, but there have been some some interesting developments and drama going on in F1 that I'm sure uh, Drive to Survive is going to amplify uh, in this upcoming season. At this point, they don't even need to. Like, there's already so much it's, drama. It's writing itself. Exactly. Yeah, that'll be a fun season. I'm looking forward to watching that one. I'm sure. I'm sure I will. So that'll be good. Uh, in Mike's Stupid Rules this week, we're going to talk about a rule that has caused controversy three times in the past week, um, and that is Rule 6.01 I2 of the major I1 and 2 of the Major League Baseball rule, and that covers collisions at home plate. Um, this could also sort of be referred to as the Buster Posey rule. If you remember when Buster Posey was a young catcher. He uh, had his leg broken after a collision at home plate because if you remember in the good old days, you used to be able to run over a catcher um, if he was trying to tag you out. Anyway, the owners didn't like that because they don't like players getting hurt, which, fine, I understand the spirit of the rule. I'm not saying I love it, but I understand. That's logical, at least. So anyway, we've got this blocking the plate rule. Um, 
where we've got um, what I really want to focus on is uh, I2, which says, unless the catcher is in possession of the ball, the catcher cannot block the pathway of the runner as he is attempting to score. If in the judgment of the umpire, the catcher without possession of the ball blocks the pathway of the runner, the umpire shall call or signal the runner safe. Um, It shall not be considered a violation of this rule if the catcher blocks the pathway of the runner in a legitimate attempt to field the throw. For example, in reaction to the direction, trajectory, or half of the incoming throw, or in reaction of a throw that originates from a pitcher or drawn an infielder. In addition, a catcher without possession of the ball shall not be um, shall not violate the rule if the runner could have avoided the collision with the catcher by sliding. So essentially, what this is saying is that the runner has to has has to have a lane to slide into home plate. You have to give the runner a lane to slide into home plate. Now, in all three of the um, cases this week, um, there was one between Colorado and San Diego, one between. Baltimore and Tampa Bay, and another one between Minnesota and Toronto. Um, you had you had out calls in all three cases, all three that went to review, and all three that were overturned to be safe. You had three outs overturned to be safe in all three instances here because of um, blocking the plate here. Um, I just have... Um, Three things I want to talk about here um, with relation to this rule. You've heard the rule. I'll let you all go watch all three of those plays um, and judge them for yourself. I think, personally, I think two of the three of them were wrong. I think the the, the Colorado-San Diego one was the most egregiously wrong. I think Minnesota and Toronto was also wrong. And I'm back and forth on the um, Tampa Bay-Baltimore one. I think that one may have been right. Um, but so you had three overturns here. My three points are one replay has to be clear and convincing, right? According to the definition in the major league rule book, I don't, and this is a judgment call. So first of all, if this is a judgment call, we don't review judgment calls for strictly this reason is that it's really hard for it to be, um, clear and convincing evidence. I didn't see clear and convincing evidence to overturn this judgment call in any of the, uh, in any of these three cases. So that, that's my first concern is why is this reviewable in the first place? The home plate umpire should make this call based on his judgment. I don't think you're going to find anything in slow-mo replay to determine whether the catcher blocked the plate or not. I don't see how replay benefits you here. It's designed to fix the egregiously wrong calls. None of these, I don't think, were egregiously wrong. I don't think this play should be reviewable. First of all, I don't think it should be a rule in the first place. Second of all, I really, really don't think um, it should be reviewable. That doesn't make sense. Um, The second thing to point out is because um, these all happened in the same week. So for those of you who don't know how replay review works... Essentially, the, the umpiring crew, right, umpires work in four-man crews. Essentially, the crews go in week rotations to New York to, do, to work the replay room. So the same set of umpires were the crew working in New, the, the replay room in New York in all three of these cases. Something to keep an eye on the rest of the year is how other umpiring crews are interpreting 
this same rule in New York. To me, based on what I've seen up to this point in the year, is that this crew um, has a very liberal definition of what blocking the plate is, and that resulted in a lot of inconsistencies with previous rulings, but I would say they were pretty consistent this week in what was overturned. Now, it's, it's very interesting to note that this was all the same umpiring crew all week making these calls. So you could just have an umpiring crew with a different definition of the rule, which again, means it shouldn't be reviewable. If you can have your different umpiring crew look at a play and get on review and get different results, it shouldn't be reviewable. That's not what review is supposed to do. It's supposed to be for objectively wrong calls. Um, like I said, I'll let you judge um, the rule in each case, but um, basically the until the catcher has the ball, they must leave a sliding lane for the runner. Are there any uh, questions on this blocking the plate rule? I think you're totally right. How do you go back and review a judgment call? You can't. Yeah, and slow, right? Really slow motion is not the way um, to to judge this, right? Like whether or not somebody has a sliding lane, you don't need slow mo replay to judge that. You just don't. It it should be obvious. Yeah, and really slow mo, in my opinion, takes uh, takes the play out of context as well. We see that a lot with targeting calls that are being college ball. Lose a lot of context when you're viewing something again at a slower speed. Yeah. I, yeah, this this just shouldn't be. And in my opinion, this should be. And there, there is a provision also in the rule that the um, the runner can't deviate from his pathway to initiate contact with the catcher. That's also not a provision of this rule that I'm seeing enforced ever. Right. I'm not seeing the runner intentionally tried to run into the catcher and forced it all. Because you can see, at least in the Twins play, that Whit Merrifield, Kyle, who was running for Toronto at the time, actually adjusts his slide it, uh, to slide into the catcher, knowing that he was going to be out and trying to get this call. He could have slid for the outside, the foul side of home plate, but instead goes angling towards the fair side of home plate into the catcher. Right? At least in some of these instances, you could argue that, that uh, the fielder was sliding towards, or the runner was sliding towards the catcher too, which would fall under 6.01 I1, that the, the runner also can't angle towards the catcher if it's avoidable. So to me, this is all just a judgment call, and this rule needs to be fixed, at least to the point where it's not reviewable, um, or just the rule needs to be tweaked in some way where it's less less of a judgment call. So, but the, the the owners have consistently voted to keep this rule in. The players keep wanting this rule tweaked and the owners keep wanting it in. So this rule's not going anywhere, but it needs to be fixed, in my opinion. Interesting. Well, very rarely do we ever have judgment calls when it comes to our write-that-down predictions. Do we have any of those coming off the board this week in our accountability session? We, we do. We had a long discussion about this prediction before the episode. So if you guys remember... Quite a while ago, Wyatt predicted that Mexican pizza at Taco Bell is gone by the end of August. That's the exact wording of the prediction. Mexican pizza is gone by the end of August. So for those of you who haven't been following the Taco Bell Mexican pizza saga, because I assume most normal people haven't, Wyatt, can you fill us in on what happened? 
Yeah, basically, Taco Bell ran out of supplies to make the Mexican pizza nationwide. So they have temporarily discontinued it uh, and are planning on bringing it back permanently September 15th. Um, in my opinion, it seems like this was probably a trial run to see if it would even take off again. So it was technically a limited time offer. However, they have, they, Taco Bell, has refuted that and said this was never planned to be a limited time. It was planned to always come back permanently. But regardless of the spirit there, it still falls within the letter of my So I think I should. I agree with Wyatt because, right, it is gone nationally, right? It's not just like soup. Certain stores are out of it right now. No, it's not available anywhere in the nation. Is that correct? Yeah, they have an FAQ page, tacobell.com slash FAQ slash Mexican dash pizza. Um, it was gone apparently after just a couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, personally, oh. I got one, um, you know, right when it first became a thing and then it was gone until I was going to get it. Yeah. So since it says is gone by the end of August, it is gone. There was nothing in Wyatt's prediction that it stays gone. So the fact that it did leave before the end of August. I would say this is correct. Ion, Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing as well. It, it is gone. There was no reason or motive in the prediction. So to me, that is correct. All right, that, that's unanimous then. Uh, so ding, 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 or bong. It's Taco Bell, so. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll continue with the, what is a, a perfect accountability session, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I think this might be a first ever on the 8311 cast. We have a multi-prediction perfect accountability session. Um, Arian predicted that neither Jose Quintana nor Jordan Montgomery would take a loss in their first Cardinals start. As he mentioned, Quintana got a no decision and Montgomery won. So for that, Arian gets a ding 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 And he also predicted that the Raiders would beat the Jaguars um, on the Hall of Fame game, the first game of the year. And they did do that, I believe. Right, Arian? They won that game? Yes, they I did. I didn't even look it up. I just assumed they did. Like uh, 27 so, to 10 or something. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. In a game that was delayed by weather, too, at some point. So just not a great game overall. But anyway, the Raiders did win. So ding, 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 ding. Um, to put stuff back up on the board, I am going to start with a very short-term prediction. The Twins are on a road trip to Los Angeles right now. They have two games against the Dodgers on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then three games uh, against the Angels Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm going to say the Twins have a winning week um, in Los Angeles. They will win more games than they lose of their five in Los Angeles. Who uh, wants to pull stats? I can pull stats okay. from 538. I'll be quickest. Um, so let's see. 538. Let me find it. Sorry. Where'd it go? Here we go. So 538 gives the Twins a 33% chance to win on Tuesday against the Dodgers, a 36% chance to win on Wednesday against the Dodgers, a 52% chance to win on Friday against the Angels, a 47% chance to win on Saturday against the Angels, and a 54% chance to win on Sunday against the Angels. And they just have to win three out of five. Correct. Three or more wins from those five games. Um, so that's going to be uh, the best three of those. Quick math. The best three of those would be all three against the Angels. 47 yeah. and 54. Yep. 
there's a 13 percent chance that they sweep the angels essentially i mean that's like let's see is that double or triple territory for us i was just off no numbers i was leaning towards double okay i think this is like the threshold because a home run is like insane triples like usually tens uh, and we're, we're yeah, at 13 I, so double yeah double and this- yeah, especially because they could lose one of those Angels games if they win one of the ones against the Dodgers, which is not impossible. Yeah. So I'm fine with the double. Yeah, that's reasonable. Well, it is. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is still alive. He's doing good. Um, he's just not very happy um, with his Brewers. Um, the first prediction that he made um, was that uh, the Brewers suck, I think was his prediction. Um <laughs> Uh, I had to go back to him. That is not a legal write that down prediction because it is not measurable. I don't know. We can determine whether or not that's true. Um, so, but he continued his pessimism with his prediction that the Brewers do not make the playoff. Um, so, for percentages on that, the, the Brewers have a sixty percent chance of making the playoffs, according to FanGraphs, and according to Five Thirty Eight. The Brewers have a 56% chance to make the playoffs. So this seems like a single-double territory, right? Something that has a a 40% chance of happening. And that just don't seem right. I agree. I'm I'm shocked that it's that high. Yeah. A 40% 40 chance that they don't make it? Yeah, that seems really high to me. that doesn't sound right to me. That does sound high. If they don't beat the Cardinals, are they going to get in, though? Like who, who do they beat know. in the wild card, uh, right? Do they beat at, do they beat Atlanta? Just thinking about the fact the, that there are three they wild the Dodgers? cards. Do they beat Philly? Right? You gotta be if they don't beat the Cardinals, they gotta be better than Atlanta, Philadelphia, or San Diego. Yeah. I guess I did forget the Just NL, looking actually, at the standings right now, I mean, those are basically the three teams that they have to worry about right now. Those mm-hmm. those four teams are the only ones over five hundred. Yeah. They, they're currently a game and a half behind San Diego and two behind Philadelphia. One would and presume the Padres finish pretty strong. That's what you would presume, but they've right. also I lost can't say one. That for sure. So I'd be okay with a double here. I don't think a single gives it enough enough oomph. Yeah, I'm fine with a double. That works for me. Yeah, that's fine. Double, double it is. Double it. Is. With the NFL season on the horizon, I'm going to predict that I will have the best record in my work fantasy football at the end of the season. Can I get some background on this? How many what teams? So, what's the level of expertise? Uh, I would not use expertise as a qualifier here. There are eight teams total okay. uh, coming back. Last year, I did have the winningest record, wound up fourth in the league. I had some really bad games where I shouldn't have. Yeah. Winningest record is my prediction. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen you do well in a fantasy league before, to be honest. Yeah, I haven't I. either, to be honest. Yeah, neither have I. I'm going to say, so how, well, have you, would you say you're one of the more experienced people in fantasy in your league? Um, Are you going to be drafting in real time? Yes. No. Oh, no, God. I was going to say, is there any other option? Well, auto draft. No. Oh, oh gotcha. Is is it a keeper league? Um, we do have one, yes. That's a good question. Who's your keeper? Don't, I haven't chosen yet. Well, probably. Who do you think it's going to be? I got to look at my rock. Um, Who do you want it to be? We need to know these things. I really don't know. Um, 
you're not convincing me very well that you're going to be first place if you don't even know this. <laughs> um, I don't really have many people I want to keep. I might just keep my core at a Josh. Josh you? Okay. Okay. That'd be That'd be fair. Fair. That's a good keeper. So if you were going to rate yourself as far as knowledge two. and experience and fantasy, what are you? One through two. eight. Three. Meaning you're the second best? Oh, no, no. Like a two out of eight. Like... I assumed he was like ranking you among yeah, members oh, of the oh, league. That is that's correct. What I <laughs> okay, probably like I don't know why you would think that is seven. My bad. On a scale of one to eight. It's like what a weird scale, but okay. <laughs> so you like the seventh? There's probably the seventh. Yeah, I'm probably on par with with the top league, which is, I mean, we're not experts. So seventh meaning you like the second best. I would say that sure. Why would you assume best is eight out of eight? <laughs> <laughs> what is with your scales today? <laughs> I'm, I don't know, double or triple. Well, so pure mathematics, there's a twelve point five percent chance that in that any one team is the best in the in the uh, in an eight team league. Then if Wyatt says he's one of the better teams, that would theoretically make it more likely. So we're looking at double. I don't know. A a long I was it's also. I was immediately just thinking double. Just throw something out. It does okay. not matter. Double sounds good. <laughs> sure. Double it is. What do you have, Kyle? We're on a roll with the doubles. Hopefully this is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, Lewis Hamilton will finish the season second in the Drivers' Championship. I think Leclerc is going to come Very back. Specific. Absolutely not. I have zero, zero hope in Ferrari. Is, it, is that Ferrari or Drivers? Well, yes. Okay. So this really pertains to I will add to this. If you if you are if you are engaged on F1 Twitter right now, there was a guy who played Microsoft Flight Sim and he took off uh, in the area where Charles Leclerc crashed out in France. He was able to take off in the amount of space that Charles Leclerc could not recover his car. That doesn't mean so. anything. Those cars are going so fast and the little Cessna 150 I I just had to... full flap short field takeoff like don't even get out of here. Wyatt is a flight to, sim expert. I'm a real pilot. That's, I just had to throw, now, yeah. throw that in there. As a real but. pilot, certificated by the FAA, I think that's crap. Can we do a Can we do a podcast in the air, Wyatt? Can you pick us yeah, up? That would be fun. That. I don't know why so, we would do that, but it seems cool. So for everyone right now, Lewis Hamilton is currently in sixth. He is 30. Two points behind Charles Clare. Second. So the, the race from three, four, five, and six are all within like 20 points. And keep in mind, you get 25 there, points for first place, which Lewis Hamilton. And there are how many races left? But that's 25 points for first place. You don't just get plus 25. All the other people ahead of you have to are also either scoring, most likely in this group, or they would have to DNF yeah. for you to make serious There's jumps. There's still. Um, 13? There's eight, eight? races How left. How many do we have this season? 19? No. We, there's 22 in the season, and we've already passed the halfway point. 11. So there there's are... Left. Yeah, 11 races left. Oh, uh, sorry, 10, because the Russian, Russian no, Grand Prix 10. was canceled. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. There's still 10, 10 races. races. A two is... Isn't that... Wait, isn't that nine? Hold on. Belgium, no. Netherlands, Italy, Singapore, Japan, United States, Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. There's only nine left. This was an easy prediction until Kyle and Wyatt can't yeah, count. Yeah, it is nine. <laughs> I, I, I was counting Hungary, which we've already raised. There's nine races say. left. I don't know. Second, that seems very specific. That seems very Agreed. aggressive. 
I maintain my position that Lewis Hamilton is over the hill. Triple. Triple, I agree. Triple or home run seems unlikely. I was going to say triple. I I expected you to go all home run on him. I mean, I was going to, and then I saw he was actually a lot closer to second than I thought he was. I'm down with the triple. I thought he was more like 50 points back, not like 25. So 32, but... That's closer to 25 than 50. (laughs) Quick math. What do you have, Ariane? Okay, so I'm going to bring it back to baseball. A little bit less immediate, but still probably pretty close to coming off the board. Um, I'm going to predict that the Cardinals will close out the month of August with eight or less losses, which is about a 66% clip. They have 23 games left, I believe, in the month, and they currently have zero losses. So essentially you're saying they're going to go 15 and eight or better? Yeah. Okay, let me look at their upcoming schedule here. Teams, Cardinal. So they've got Colorado next. Yep. Uh, so the remaining schedule is if MLB.com will load three at Colorado, three at home against the Brewers, three at home against the Rockies, three at the Diamondbacks, five at the Cubs, three against the Braves, and three at the Reds. That's a lot of games against bad teams. They only play two above 500 teams the rest of the month. And they're both at home. Single. Single? All right. I was hoping for a double, but, but still that's fair. Votes. It can be and have been outvoted at some point in time in the past. So it could certainly happen again. Uh, What are you saying, Mike? <laughs> I don't know. So they'd have to go 8 and 15. Oh, 15 and 8. Do I see 15 wins on here? Yeah, I got to go single. Sorry, Ariane. Yeah, I... It doesn't matter, but I would also say single. Fair enough. I thought I could get a double out of it, but I'll take a single. I was very close to single. If they had a slightly less favorable schedule, I would have gone. What if I say less than eight? Does that move it at all? It does for me. I don't know about anybody else. Anybody? Does that bump me to a double? Um, 16 and seven for the rest of the month. I don't know. I don't think that's enough to convince me. All right. Fair enough. Kyle? Um probably still at single then i will leave it at eight no sense uh lowering my odds for a still a single while we had a queen sweep in the accountability session we did not hit the cycle with two doubles three doubles a triple and a single that concludes our write that down prediction segment which means we're at the end of the episode thank you so much for listening to episode 186 of the 8311 cast hope to see you tune in next week for 187 uh, until then, signing off for the 87 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Ryan Barry. Tracks up again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.